Today on Stick to Football, no Mello, no Connor, just Matt for the whole damn show. We're going to break down my preseason top 25 big board. Y'all send in a ton of draft on draft questions we're going to get to. It's going to be a fun show. It's a little different. I'll admit, I have not done a solo podcast um, maybe ever. Wow, it's been a long time. Maybe back in the early days of Bleacher Report uh, with some radio hits that I might have done alone. But it, it's definitely you miss the comfort of your best friend sitting beside you or being on the other end of the phone where you know that if you lose your train of thought, they're there to bail you out. If you aren't just having a lot of energy that day, you can usually rely on one of them to pick you up. Not today, not for me, because Connor is in Orlando. Mello is back to school teaching, so you, you guys are stuck with me, unfortunately, today. I do, before we get into the show, want to brief everyone. There's some big changes and big events that are happening with Stick to Football that we've kind of alluded to, maybe we've given a little information about, but I wanted to kick off today's show and kind of walk you through what the season's going to look like for us a little bit. And that really starts uh, next week. Connor and I will be in Las Vegas. We have a permanent studio built at Caesars Palace in the sports book. Bleacher Report does. So Connor and I will be there doing shows Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now, what that means is when you wake up Monday morning, there will not be a stick to football. It'll come out in the afternoon next week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the show will come out in the afternoon. Mello arrives in Vegas Friday night. We will be hosting a pregame event at Caesars Palace, again, in the sports book, where you guys can come hang out with us before Miami and Florida kick off the college football season. We'll be answering questions. We'll be hanging out. So if you're in that area, I know we haven't hit the West Coast a lot. Not that Vegas is on the coast. I know that. But we haven't hit that part of the country a lot. This is a great chance to come out, hang out with us, on the West Coast, at least before that Stanford game late in the season. So next week, Vegas means no morning podcast, but you'll get them in the afternoon. We we do apologize, but uh, the bosses say, boys, you got to go to Vegas. And and who are we to argue with that? Now, more on that note, the schedule will be changing a little bit. Stick to Football is transitioning to video as well as podcasting. So you'll be able to watch the show like you do the Lefko Show on Bleacher Report's YouTube channel. That will be kicking off once we get back from Vegas. So right now, it's looking like August 28th, Stick to Football will go to video. What that means for you guys is the Monday morning show will be a Monday afternoon show. So we will not be recording on Sunday nights anymore. We'll have to get up early, record Monday morning, and the show will come out Monday afternoon, really as soon as possible. So we know that that, that might upset a couple people. Change is hard. I am very much about routine. So it's even been a little bit hard for me. But uh, if you're one of those folks that likes to listen to the podcast in the morning while you're driving to work, just listen to it Tuesday morning now. So you'll still get it Tuesday morning. Um, You'll get it Wednesday morning and you'll get it Friday morning. So there are some big changes coming, but we're excited about them. It's good for us to help grow the show, find new ways to interact with you guys. Nothing's going to change on that front. So don't worry about the content. It's going to be just like it was last college and NFL season. But the schedule is going to be changed a little bit. And we'll be tweeting this out. So that's just me running through our schedule for three minutes. Uh, it can be kind of hard to keep up with. But I promise we'll keep you all updated with, with any information. And then very soon, the tailgate tour actually kicks off. We will be in Austin, Texas. We just landed our our host for this. And I'm so excited because having been a Texas fan for so long, you always talk to people who live in Austin or guys who go to the school and they talk about pluckers, which is like the most badass wing spot in all of Texas, if not the whole country, and we are going to be set up there. So that's going to be amazing. We will be there from 2.30 to 5.30 before Texas against LSU. That is September 7th. 
2.30 to 5.30. We will be at Pluckers on Rio Grande uh, setting up. We're going to record the podcast. They've given us access to their patio. So we want you guys to come out. We'll be giving out merch as always. There'll be a ton of cold drinks, great food. And we'll just be hanging out before we go to the game. So if you're in the Austin area, we, we really look forward to seeing you guys. We'll have more news very soon about the New York Jets tailgate that's going to happen uh, week two. It's a Monday night game. And then the Wisconsin-Michigan tailgate, uh, which is September 21st. So follow us on Twitter. Follow the Instagram channel. That's a great way to keep up on this information. All right. Five minutes in. Those are the news and notes of the show. Let's jump into some of things that are actually happening that affect college football. And I was on Twitter a lot trying to prep for the show and noticed many of you wanted to know what our thoughts were on Tate Martell, the you know five-star recruit who goes to Ohio State, and a lot of people were so excited about him. Uh, but you know he didn't get any playing time. Um, one thing I'll say is he, he kept his mouth shut. He he you know Dwayne Haskins wins the job. Tate doesn't cause problems. He's just a quiet trooper. Then he transfers. He hits the portal and he transfers to the University of Miami. He's a Hurricane. And I think a lot of us just expected that Tate would win the starting job. You got this, you know, stud recruit. When you transfer, it's almost you that's like assume some promises are made to get the guy on the field. But no, Tate Martell will not start. Manny Diaz has announced that Jaron Williams will start. And this is a kind of exciting because this was a three-headed quarterback battle there for the Hurricanes. They had a lot of talent at the position. Jaron Williams takes it. A dude who's a redshirt freshman, played one game last year. He's a four-star recruit, and he says that he models his game after Mike Vick. That's got to be exciting if you're a Miami fan. And I'll tell you what, week one, you're going to get a great test against those Florida Gators because that defense is always loaded and nasty. They have one of the best corners in the country in C.J. Henderson. They're always talented up front. Manny Diaz, you need to pack your lunch. Because this is going to be a tough one. And it, it, the opener is always tough because, you know, you just, you're limited in hours, you're limited in prep. I'm excited to see what we get from Jaron Williams. But if you're a Tate Martell fan, here's what I'll say this is college football. Just because you're not the week one starter does not mean you can't become the starter at halftime or in week two or in week six. We've seen this happen so many times. I know there were reports that. After this announcement was made, Tate skipped practice on Monday. That's not a good look, man. It's not. You, you've made a commitment. You've said, hey, I'm going to play. And again, we don't know what the staff at Miami told him. Maybe he was guaranteed this job, and now he isn't. But guess what? That's football. You just got to go in and compete. They got to put the best guy out on the field. So what I say is buckle up your chin strap because it's going to be a long season, and we don't know what's going to happen to Jaron Williams. Uh, imagine if Jake Fromm did this when you know he goes to Georgia. Jacob Eason wins the starting job. Uh, he's the incumbent, but he wins the job. And imagine if Jake Fromm just like, you know what? No, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to practice. I'm not happy about it. And then Easton gets hurt, and Jake Fromm has to step in and take that job. Or last year with Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant, where it was, oh, Kelly Bryant's the starter, but we're going to see Trevor a little bit. Well, that didn't last very long, did it? So I think that's the key here. It's like you have to be ready because we don't know what Jaron Williams is going to look like. I hope he balls out, but we don't know what he's going to look like. So you have to be ready to play. Not showing up to practice is a bad look. I get being pissed off. It doesn't matter. you, you got to show up for work. That is that is your job at this point. So it'll be interesting to watch and see. Um, I know a lot of people have said, should Tate just transfer again? Man, I, I think you're running out of time on that. Like you, Eventually, you don't want to be labeled as the guy who, when you don't get your way, you take your ball and go home. Like fight through some adversity. Stick it out a little bit. I've had other people ask, what does this mean for his NFL career? And, oh, guys, we got to wait. He's got to be a starter at quarterback in college football. But before we can talk about him as an NFL quarterback, 
You know, like I'll never forget when I was a kid, I was like my goal as a high schooler. I want to play in the NFL. I remember my junior year, my, our oldest brother said, dude, uh, you're, you're starting for a 1A high school in Missouri. Like barely. You're barely holding on to that job. You really think you're playing the NFL? That's how I feel about Tate Martell. Like you have to, you can't even start in Miami. Why are we talking about the NFL? We're putting the cart way before the horse because this dude was a hot recruit back in the day. So eventually he's got to get on the field before we can even begin to talk about what he's going to look like as a draft prospect. That's not, that's the farthest thing from my mind right now. When I think about Tate Martell is, oh man, where's he going to get drafted? Because right now he wouldn't. And skipping practice doesn't help that. Somebody who's returning to practice, though, I, ho- I hope you guys are as tired of this story as I am because I frankly don't want to talk about it after today. Antonio Brown loses his grievance hearing. The NFL basically said, surprise, surprise, your helmet is as old as shit and it is not safe. You can't wear it anymore. He loses his grievance hearing. The NFL actually says, you know what? You can wear that helmet if you find one that has been made in the last 10 years, which is impossible. They've stopped making that helmet because it's not safe. There's new technology. We know so much more about head trauma and collisions than we did 10 years ago. So he loses that. And guess what? As I'm sitting here Tuesday morning, Antonio Brown is showing up for training camp with the Raiders. He's back, back in practice, ready to roll. This is such an amazing story because you have a guy who threatened to retire if the NFL wouldn't let him wear his helmet. Now the league says, hey, man, you're not wearing that helmet. Okay, well, I'll just I'll go back. And on top of all this, let's not forget that he has frostbite on his feet from getting in a cryo chamber with the wrong footwear on. I, I'm so over the Antonio Brown story. And I've had people suggest, oh, he's just, you know, he's taking one for the league and for all the players with this helmet nonsense. Tom Brady is trolling him on Instagram about the helmet stuff. You're not fighting the fight for the players, man. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are the two of the biggest names in all of football. They quietly changed their helmet. Don't don't paint yourself out to be this martyr for the league when everyone else is laughing at you because you're picking this fight over a helmet that was deemed not safe enough for you. So, Antonio Brown, welcome back to camp. It's Tuesday when we record. I can't wait to see Hard Knocks tonight to see if they cover it. I'm sure we'll talk about that on the Friday show. Uh, let's take a break. We come back. I am going to go through my top 25 big board preview and then close it out with your guys' draft on draft questions. Let's jump right back in. The big board preview starts. And I, I want to say before we get into this, it's it really is almost more of a watch list than a big board because these rankings are so fluid this time of year. We haven't seen anyone play since January. So obviously a lot can change. Guys get better, guys get worse, guys get hurt. Uh, players who we thought were going to take the next step might not. There's, there's a lot hinging on this. So more than ever, the top 25 is very fluid. But these are the 25 players who have impressed me over summer study. Guys who I thought stood out last year. Guys who NFL scouts are excited about. But this could all fall apart very quickly, not just by injury, but yeah, guys, just over the summer, we don't we don't know. Uh, I'll never ever forget being very excited about Tim Williams, the edge rusher from Alabama, and he came back in the fall and just like, what the fuck happened to this guy? And you know, you go through the season, and and after the season, we were at the the Senior Bowl or the Combine talking to a scout, and it was like, what happened to Tim Williams? And, and Connor and Mello were with me and. Scout we were talking to goes, man, I'm pretty sure he lived on weed and Jolly Ranchers all summer. He was like 220 pounds trying to play outside linebacker. So you never know, but we hope for the best. We'll find out in a couple weeks when the season kicks off how each of these guys look. But 
Let's start here. And one thing you'll notice in the, the late summer, a lot of times I'll group positions together. So there's a couple corners that I kind of have grouped together. I'm waiting to see who breaks out of that pack of guys. Same with you know, running backs, offensive tackles, wide receivers. There are a lot of ties at positions this time of year. So without further ado, number 25 from Stanford, cornerback Paulson Adebo. I love his size and his ability from what I've seen. Uh, a young guy, though, that's the key here. What steps will he take? Uh, because he is he is young and a little bit inexperienced, but um, six foot one, 190 pounds, aggressive, rocking that number 11 out there for Stanford, um, and, and looked very good in the spring game. So I think he's someone to keep an eye on as maybe not competing with the top two corners in this class because they're pretty special, but uh, he could definitely work his way uh, into uh, an upper tier at the corner position. Last year, I mean, he was very productive. Four picks, 17 passes defense. So I'm a big fan of his potential. At number 24, another corner. Like I said, a lot of times you get to this spot and you have some ties that you got to break up a little bit. This is one I'll be watching a lot. Christian Fulton from LSU. Last year, we all talked so much about Greedy Williams. I think Christian Fulton is better. And Greedy went mid-round two. I think Fulton could go mid to late round one. He'll be a senior, which is super helpful. The only complaint that I really have with him is he doesn't have a lot of ball production. One pick last year. So we need to see a little bit more ball production from him. He did have ankle surgery uh, this summer. So that's going to be something to watch. But as a senior corner, he's probably the best in the country. As a senior, six foot, 192 pounds. He's someone we're all going to be watching really, really closely, especially in the opener against Texas, where he's probably going to have to defend Colin Johnson, who's a big physical receiver. So a good matchup to watch there week one. At number 23, staying in the SEC, Derek Brown, the D-lineman from Auburn, a guy we thought might come out last year and didn't. He went back to Auburn, said, I'm going to stay for my senior year. He had 10.5 tackles for a loss last year, 4.5 sacks, incredible production. 6'5", 320, so he's going to profile a little bit more as maybe a 5 technique and a 3-4 defense, but uh, the way the game is now, you got to move around. I think Derrick Brown has that ability. Nick Coe, uh, a teammate of his, a fellow defensive lineman, is another dude to watch, but right now I like Derrick Brown a little bit more as a draft prospect. At number 22, staying on the D-line and edge from Penn State, Yuter Gross-Matos. Great production last year. I've said it before on this show. Loved watching him in the Iowa game because those Iowa tackles are both really high-profile guys. And he was able to have great production against Iowa, not just statistically, but the impact he had as a pass rusher. It, it was it was jaw-dropping. It really was. I watched that game just a couple weeks ago and was blown away by how quick he looked off the ball, how well he used his length. Uh, he has very, very good size, six foot five, 265 pounds. I mean, he's pro-ready. And last year, he had 20 tackles for a loss and eight sacks. So he's... He's pro caliber, and someone that could really shoot up this board. The good thing is we'll get to see him tested against some very good Big Ten offensive linemen. At 21, the first of many Alabama players, cornerback Trevin Diggs. Uh, just uh, when you play for Nick Saban, you know you're going to have good technique. And we've seen in recent years that guys coming out of Alabama have a lot better like, technique. It, it used to be they didn't know how to backpedal. They didn't know how to you know play 
without their eyes on the quarterback. Now that has changed. One of my favorite things about Diggs, the dude was a receiver as a freshman. So he's recently moved to corner, can play in the slot, can play in the nickel. He has athleticism. He can help in the return game. So he's someone who's a little bit raw right now, but I'm really excited to see what steps he takes this year. At number 20, Walker Little from Stanford, a left tackle prospect. Uh, I don't love the offensive line group this year. I know Mello has talked about like there's some dudes that he likes a little bit. I like Walker Little. He has good size, 6'7", 315. Playing at Stanford, you're going to get the accolades. You're going to get the mentions. You're going to be well coached, especially in the run game. That's something they do so well at Stanford. We've seen guys in the past. Think of Andrews Pete, Josh Garnett. Stanford guys always bump a little in the draft because they, they have such a good reputation. I think Walker Little is a good player who's going to be helped by that Stanford pedigree and reputation. At number 19, another offensive tackle. This is one of those ties I was talking about. Tristan Wirfs at Iowa. Now, Wirfs plays right tackle, but a lot of people believe that he's going to be able to make that transition to play left tackle in the NFL. Right now, the left tackle spot is held down by Alaric Jackson, someone who did not make my top 25. But Iowa has the best, in my opinion, bookends in college football. Those tackles are impressive. Wirfs has very good strength. He has a very, very good foundation, a good base. And I think this year the key is let's see what he does athletically in pass pro. Because as mentioned, you know, guys from Penn State were working him last year. Iowa has to play a schedule that is going to feature a lot of the best pass rushers in the country. So we're going to get those opportunities to see him, you know, against an Iowa State, against Michigan, against Northwestern, against Wisconsin, against Nebraska. Uh, we don't see, uh, and Penn State as well, we don't see Ohio State. That's the only one we don't see. But, man, there's there's a lot of talent that Tristan Wirfs is going to have to handle this year. At 18, C.D. Lamb, wide receiver, Oklahoma. I like C.D. a lot. Uh, I want to bump him. But I'll tell you, all this is a good draft class. So seeing someone at 18, it's like, why are you so low on C.D. Lamb? I'm not. I like C.D. Lamb a ton. I like him more than I liked Marquise Brown because he has some bulk to him. He's 6'2", 190 but brings that yak ability. Last year, 65 catches for over 1,100 yards. He's averaging almost 18 yards a catch with 11 touchdowns. Also, he can help in the return game. As a punt returner, very good last year. I love CeeDee Lamb. It's just a good draft class. So he could bump, obviously. I don't see him ever falling really below this point. He's a top 20 player, hands down. He's just a top 20 player. Now, at number 17, another tie here. I have T. Higgins from Clemson. We've kind of forgot about T. Higgins because of Justin Ross, the connection he has with Trevor Lawrence. Do not sleep on T. Higgins. This is Clemson we're talking about. They know wide receivers at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney knows wide receivers. So do not sleep on T. Higgins. He has great size, 6'4", 205. Didn't have a ton of catches last year, 59 catches, but he had 12 touchdowns. And I think that is one of my favorite things about him, his ability to make big plays in the red zone. With his size, being able to high point, being able to box out, being able to make big plays. So Justin Ross is going to get maybe more attention, but I think T. Higgins is still a very good prospect that we cannot forget about. Number 16 and the last player before a little bit of a break here, another offensive tackle. That's Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Uh, just uh, watch Georgia play. Watch him keep Jake Fromm upright. Watch him open holes for John Jay Swift this year. It's special. Andrew Thomas, um, I'm anxious to see his arm length. That's one of the big keys. He's 6'5", 320. And on film, I can't tell if he's just like has such a thick chest that his arms look short or if he's short-armed. He might, he might be one of those guys that's 6'4 and a half and 320. So the measurements are going to matter because we've seen that recently. Measurements do matter a little bit. Jonah Williams, still an early pick, but measurements matter. I think 
Personally, I think Andrew Thomas is the best offensive lineman in the country, especially in this draft class. So he's going to be someone to keep an eye on throughout the season. I expect a big year. I mean, Isaiah Wynn, this is like a little bit bigger version of Isaiah Wynn, and we know how good he was. was a first-round pick by the New England Patriots. So a lot of excitement there. That is 25 through 16. Take a break, come back, walk through 15 to 1, and then your guys draft on draft. Number 15, Jake Fromm, quarterback, Georgia. That might seem low. If you listen to this show three times a week, and hopefully you do, if you don't, you're really missing out. But it seemed like I've been a Jake Fromm supporter. I know a lot of you are probably thinking that. I like Jake Fromm, but I want to see him become a little less robotic this season. I want to see him break out of the system a little bit, create on his own some. We need to see a little bit more arm strength. Right now, you see this like really accurate, smart quarterback, but we need to see, I think, just a little bit more to move Jake from up this list. I still think he'd be a good NFL starting quarterback, but right now, I don't get that that sense of potential greatness from him. And if you don't have that and you're a quarterback, I'm not going to rate you as highly as I may have a couple of years ago because it, it, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for greatness at the position. Not, eh, it's okay. We're looking for somebody who can win a Super Bowl. We're looking for Pat Mahomes. We're looking for Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz. Not, eh, guy's okay. And I think the difference there is physical traits. It really is. that You you have to be smart. You have to be accurate. But what else do you bring to the table? It's got to be something special in there. With Jake Fromm, I just have not seen that yet. Good player. With a good defense, yeah, guy could probably get you into the playoffs. Maybe win a Super Bowl. But, he, but he's not at that level of some of the other prospects yet in this class. Number 14, LSU. I am so excited to see this dude. He's wearing the fame number 18 this year, which is a huge honor. That's Caleb Von Chason. When we were down there last year for LSU Georgia at the tailgate tour, our good friend Jacob Hester was like, dude, wait till next year because Chason is the real deal. And it's next year, and I'm tired of waiting. I want to see him on the field. He has top 10 potential as an edge rusher. Missed last season because of injury. But I am so excited for the production that it looks like he could show us. Six foot four, 240 pounds. And, and you do. you got to go back to his freshman year where he didn't play a ton, but he flashed as a pass rusher. So where he is coming back from this torn ACL... We'll see. I don't know if we see him week one against Georgia Southern or not. I would probably uh, work him in a little bit just to knock some of the rust off. But as long as he's back healthy, I think we could have a very big year from Chase on. At number 13, Dylan Moses, linebacker, Alabama. This feels low. Like even when I see my own notes, I'm like, 13, you really like this guy. I really like the 12 players in front of him too. And there's some ties that need to be broken, which could push Dylan Moses up. I don't think he's that different than a Devin White. I really don't. He's productive, he's instinctive, he's athletic, he's big. I mean, this is this is everything you want in an NFL linebacker. Dylan Moses is close to your prototype. 6'3", 235, can run. He had 10 and a half tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks. He had a pick as a freshman. And he, just, he really does it all. So when you're watching Bama, number 32, running around out there making all kinds of plays, like, he is a difference maker. So Dylan Moses, uh, one of my favorite defensive players in the entire draft. At number 12, a guy we're going to see very, very soon. We are 11 days away as I'm recording. C.J. Henderson, a corner from Florida. I mentioned him earlier in the show. I am very excited about C.J. Henderson. Uh, he has he has it all. He's tough. He's physical. 6'1", 195. Last year, uh, two picks last year. Teams are throwing at this guy. Year before, he had four, but he will also tackle. He had five tackles for a loss. 
He had three sacks. He'll pull the chain. He'll come up and play in the run game. C.J. Henderson is special. He truly is. I think one of the only questions right now is, can he learn to to rein in his physicality a little bit? We've seen that, with, especially with Florida corners, obviously. Guys like you know, Vernon Hargraves, can you learn to cover without your hands? Quincy Wilson had some growing up to do. Also had to clean up some technique. So with C.J. Henderson, it's a different staff down there now, but let's see if he can take the next step in his technique development. Now, numbers 11 through 9, 9, 10, 11, I have a tie at one position. And I did this intentionally because I like all three players, but I need some more evidence before I can split this tie up. So I have DeAndre Swift from Georgia, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, and Travis Etienne from Clemson. Three badass running backs who are different. Etienne's a little bit smaller, a little bit more of a scat back. Taylor's got power, a ton of production, 4,000 yards rushing the last two years. And DeAndre Swift is a little bit more of like an Alvin Kamara, kind of a do-it-all type player. Who's going to be the top back? I genuinely don't know. And I'm not going to like step back here in August and be like, oh, well, Jonathan Taylor fumbled a lot as a freshman, or his workload, or you know, Travis Etienne's kind of small, or DeAndre Swift didn't even, he's never been a starting running back. Yeah, you know, there are holes in every one of their games, but just got to wait and see. They're all special, though. Etienne at times last year carried Clemson. What he brings as a balance runner with his speed to the corner is special. Jonathan Taylor should get Heisman votes. As long as he can stay healthy, and there hasn't been any indication that he can't, he'll once again be among the most productive running backs in college football. The dude has a chance to like break some pretty Im- impressive rushing records if he just keeps his pace up. Now, I don't think we'll see him play all four years, so that would you know he's not going to top Ron Dane because of that. But f- over 4,100 yards rushing in two years, that's unreal. And he also has over 600 carries, so maybe it will be time for him to jump after this year. And the DeAndre Swift, it's almost the opposite. We've seen small doses, but those flashes are so impressive. What he does as a runner with speed, with vision, with power, what he does as a receiver out of the backfield, they're all really impressive guys. And it's going to be fun this year trying to separate them out. You know, it's like they all have different body types. They all you know, have different, different amount of carries. Jonathan Taylor had more carries last year than DeAndre Swift has in his college career. So it's going to be fun to separate these guys out. Just know that right now, all three are very special. Now, the same thing is going to happen at the quarterback position, where I have a tie between Justin Herbert and Tua Tungvaluwa. I like both of them a lot. I think Justin Herbert, in practice, is going to blow people's minds. When scouts go through Oregon, they're going to be like, oh, shit, this dude is big, he's athletic, his arm is live, technique, mechanics look good. Tua... You know, you're probably never going to be blown away. He's not the biggest guy, not the tallest guy at least. Probably not the fastest guy. He's a lefty, so his mechanics even like look funny when you watch him. But his touch, timing, and accuracy are special. It's like watching a left-handed Drew Brees. When you watch a healthy Tua carve up teams last year, go back and watch the Oklahoma game, the college football playoff game, the first one. Tua's just like throwing ropes to Jerry Judy. And yeah, he does have Jerry Judy, and he has Henry Ruggs, and he has Jalen Smith, but his touch and anticipation are special. Trust me on this. They're special. His arm strength isn't. His, his speed isn't. But his touch absolutely is, and his toughness. I'm a big fan of that. So they are at 7 and 8, the two top quarterbacks in this class. At number 6, a truly special corner prospect, Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State. I've had some Twitter interaction with people who are like, if this guy was good, he'd be starting. Don't give me that. This is Ohio State. 
they're going to let the upperclassmen start. Everyone knows that Akuda is the best corner on this team, and he was last year, and he will be this year. I think he is up there with Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward as prospects coming out of Ohio State in the last couple of years, and he might be better because unlike Ward, he has great size, 6'1", 200 pounds. Unlike Marshawn Lattimore, he doesn't have the hamstring issues. So keep an eye. Jeffrey Akuda has a chance to be a top five pick at corner. Very, very special player. Now, speaking of number five, this is where it gets hard. I wanted Jeff Akuda to be in the top five. The top five players in this year's class are really, really good. It's going to take a lot to shake this up for me because they're just, they're the guys. Like you talk about the 2020 draft and you're like, ah, yep, it's those guys. So I have five, LaVisca Chanel from Colorado. Take us take it 30 minutes on your lunch break today and watch this dude's YouTube. It's just impressive. And I know it's not going to paint the full picture. 6'2", 220. It looks like you're watching Juju Smith-Schuster in a Colorado uniform. The, the yards after catch ability is there. The production is there. His ability to, to be physical. Now, I don't know how much we're going to see him early because he had turf toe. It sounds like he's going to play against Colorado State week one. But you got to kind of watch that, monitor it. That that and poor 40 time are probably the only things that could really affect Chenault at this point because he's just so impressive. So I'm expecting a big year from him and for him to remain steady, steadily high as a prospect. Number four from Iowa, edge rusher A.J. Epinesa. Y'all know how much I love this dude. Another guy who, quote-unquote, didn't start last year because that's how it works at Iowa, just like Ohio State. 6'6", 285. You could play him anywhere on the defensive line. 4-3 D end, 3-4 D end. He could kick inside. 16 and a half tackles for a loss, 10 and a half sacks last year as a rotational end. I think we're going to see him just explode this year. Number 94, playing right defensive end for the Hawkeyes. It's, it's a beautiful sight. He uses power, leverage. He's got quicks in his first step. Epinesa is a, is, is a very, very good prospect. I think in this past year's draft... He would have been a top 10 player just on what we'd already seen, not on potential. So I'm excited about him. Number three, Grant Delpit. We've been talking about Grant Delpit on this show as long as there's been a show. And we're all expecting huge things from him. He has the goods to be a top five pick. Now, safeties usually aren't drafted top five. We all know that. But Grant Delpit, man, this dude's just special. And you're probably not going to see it in the numbers, even though he did have five sacks and five interceptions last year, which is just fucking crazy. But you're going to see it on the field. You're going to see his impact. He's the captain of the defense. Watch him get guys set up. Watch him roam and make plays. Watch him take away tight ends, deep routes. Watch him spy quarterbacks. Week one, how LSU uses Delpit against Grant, excuse me, against Sam Ellinger. Like that's going to be fascinating to see. Because Ellinger and Delpit, like that's the chess match. And with Devin White gone, I think we're going to have to see Delpit step into the box a little bit more this year, which could be a good thing for him. This is like watching Derwin James all over again. So don't overthink it. He's a top five player. Now, top two is predictable because they've been the top two all along, really for about a year. They've been the top two players for this class. That's Chase Young, edge rusher at Ohio State. What he did last year, having to replace Nick Bosa, he got so much attention from opposing offensive lines. Still went out, had nine and a half sacks, 14 and a half tackles for a loss. He's 6'5", he's 265, no injury issues, unlike Nick Bosa. You know exactly what you're getting. Great first step. He understands how to lean and use his leverage, low center of gravity. And he, he's got goods. Chase Young, don't overthink it. 
Chase Young's going to be a really good draft prospect. And at number one overall, if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, you understand how much I love Jerry Judy. He's number one with a bullet. He might be number one in ink. I just cannot see anything that would change this. And, and a lot of you guys have asked, well, he's not that big. He's not. He's 6'1", maybe 200 pounds. Well, he's not that fast. He's not, he's not the fastest guy on his team. He's fast, but he's not the fastest. You know what he is? A great route runner. And he has excellent hands. That matters to me. No, this is not Julio Jones. He's not 6'4", 225. But it is Odell Beckham. And we've seen that work pretty well in the NFL. Route running, speed, timing, anticipation, concentration, balance, coordination. That's Jerry Judy. He's not going to look like DK Metcalf. He's not going to blow you away physically. But just watch him play the game. No, it's combine. He's not going to have a picture at the combine shirtless and you're going to think, oh shit, somebody invented a wide receiver. No, you're just going to watch him play and be like, this is the cleanest route runner since Odell Beckham. So enjoy it. Judy's going to have a big year. Last year's Blitnikoff Award winner. He probably will be again this year. I don't know anybody that's going to take this dude's crown as the best receiver in college football. And for me, as the best prospect for the 2020 draft. It is draft on draft time. Running solo. I thought I'd do something different this week. Uh, Posted a little thing on Instagram. So I'm going to take a lot of questions from Instagram because I I sometimes feel like we forget about that. Y'all are out there on IG sending questions. So uh, I appreciate everybody that sent them in on Twitter in your iTunes review. Uh, We'll get to some of those too because, hey, we got time. It's just me and you today. So uh, our good friend, who we miss so much, Mr. Whiskey, asked, how much does having a good camp actually translate into regular season performance? In other words, should I panic about Mitch Trubisky, who uh, some, some reporters, some beat writers have said isn't having a great camp. I always feel like camp is a time to learn and to try things. And, uh, you know, I remember even last year, people were a little bit worried about Mahomes in camp. You know, how's he look? And we've heard all the stories about XYZ hasn't thrown a pick in camp. That's not a good thing. You, I want my quarterback throwing picks in camp because that's when you learn. That's when you test your limits. So I would not worry about it. Let's wait and see what Trubisky looks like against a defense other than his own. And with, like, actual game pressure on. I don't think there's any substitute for that. Like, oh, this is a real game, not practice. Everything gets churned up a little bit. Ant the Oreo, he tweeted this and Instagrammed it, so I have to answer it. Draft on draft, lay out the path for the 49ers to make the Super Bowl this season if you can. So I I don't think this is crazy. They could. Everyone has to stay healthy. And as you guys know, that's been an issue. It's something we've talked about a lot on this show. They, They have had trouble staying healthy. Nick Bosa and D Ford both have to have double-digit sacks. Jimmy Garoppolo has to play closer to mistake-free football because I think that's one thing that we've seen from him in the small sample sizes. He was actually turning the ball over at a pretty decent clip. So we got to see him play smarter while still setting up his young guys to make plays because the Niners have speed, a lot of speed. Jerry McKinnon, Tevin Coleman, Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin, Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd. And George Kittle. That's a group that has speed. That's a group that can be playmakers. So if Jimmy can stay healthy and play closer to mistake-free, and if the two new pass rushers can both get double-digit sacks, then, I, yeah, I think the Niners have a chance. We'll see what the Rams look like without you know Todd Gurley. That whole situation is a little interesting. I think Seattle is just always going to be tough, and I don't think we're going to see a ton from the Cardinals. So it's possible. It really is. Um, and maybe that's just me being a homer because I don't know if – I don't know if Bosa and Ford can stay healthy long enough to give them double-digit sacks each, but there's a path at least. 
Which current NFL player or players could you see being an NFL head coach one day? That's from Al Hanze. Oh, man. It, you know, I always feel like, uh, and I know Josh McCown just got out. I always thought Josh McCown would be someone that would be a head coach someday. Um, and just He's so smart and so involved, and you always hear about how he was such a great coach, uh, You know, so willing to help. Um, so I, I think he's definitely someone. Brian Hoyer is another. You hear a lot about, oh, eventually this guy's going to be a coach. So it's not always, you know, it's not, it's not Tom Brady. I don't think Tom Brady's going to be a head coach when he retires from the NFL. It's usually the guys who are, you know, a step below that. You know, like Mike Vrabel, really good NFL player. He's a good NFL head coach. So on the defensive side, man, that's a that's a tough one on the defensive side. It really is. Um, you know, I don't I don't think we're gonna see JJ Watt, you know, jump over and and coach in the NFL uh, when it's all said and done. But um, you know, they're they're definitely talented guys. Um, I think a lot about. Um, I know Trent Murphy with Washington. I'd heard, or excuse me, now with Buffalo. I'd always heard he might be someone that would get into coaching. Um, so Micah Hyde, another another Bill, actually. Um, you know, those those are the types of guys I could see getting into it. It's not as sexy as like, yeah, Peyton Manning. You know, people you said that when Peyton Manning played. Now look at him; he's not doing it. So, PJ Annie fifty six. What are the top five most important positions on an NFL team? If you were to go off your top five teams in the NFL currently. Who would have? Uh, who, would these teams have the best of those positions? I think the most important positions are quarterback, a pass rusher that can be a D tackle or an edge, a, a left tackle, a corner, and a wide receiver. So when you think about like think about the Patriots, so they have Tom Brady. Okay, they're really good there. They have Stephon Gilmore. Okay, they're really good there. They have Julian Edelman. They're really good there. Uh, they're usually able to manufacture a pass rush, and at left tackle they've been solid. Like Trent Brown was good last year. They expect Isaiah Wynn to be good this year. Um, you know, look at the Rams. You know, they're, they're great here because you have Jared Goff, who's good. You have Andrew Whitworth, who's good. Aaron Donald's the best. He's the best. At corner, you have a keep to leave Marcus Peters, who can be a little enigmatic, but they're good. And then a wide receiver, they have a lot of talent at wide receiver. So I think that's the, you know, almost when we start to look at who's going to be good this year. Kind of can start there. Okay, well, the, these are the five key positions. How good is it, How good are these teams going to be? You know, we've, we've talked a lot about the Ravens. How good can the Ravens be this year? Okay, well, a lot of that hinges on Lamar Jackson, right? So, question mark at quarterback. Left tackle, Ronnie Stanley's good. Who's their number one receiver, though? It's a rookie. It's Marquise Brown, who's coming off an injury. So, we really don't know there. Pass rush, uh, Terrell Suggs is gone. I mean, they, they have a good D-line, really good D-line. I love Brandon Williams. It's good. But they need a, they need somebody to step up. Now, the the other part of that is their secondary is probably the best in football. Marlon Humphrey's a stud. Tony Jefferson's a stud. Earl Thomas is a stud. I really like, they got Jimmy Smith, Deshaun Elliott, Brandon Carr, Taven Young. Like, they're so deep in the secondary. So I, I think that's one thing that really helps Baltimore is, okay, we got some questions on offense, but on defense, uh, this the secondary is pretty good. Pretty damn good. So uh, let's go here. Uh, Mick Q. Connor, if all the college football mascots had a free-for-all rumble, who wins? I'm going to take... I don't want to do this because Mel is not here, but I think he might actually be right about the gorilla thing. All right, I, Please, no one tell him. There's a good chance he's going to be like, Matt's doing the show alone. I'm not going to listen. I think he's right. I mean, just the, the strength, the athleticism, the intelligence of that animal. I don't know if anyone could take down the Pitt State gorilla. I mean, there's. I guess UAB is the dragons. That would be one. But it might be a it might be a pretty good fight. So don't tell Mello though. I don't want to see tweets tomorrow. People at Mello. Matt said that a gorilla could beat all the other mascots. Because I I just don't need to, to hear that from him. Not at all. 
Uh, Mason Whitlock, is Dak Prescott worth the reported $30 million he was offered? What's a fair contract for Dak? I don't personally think he's worth the $30 million. I, I just really don't. Um, I look at what Carson Wentz is making, and it's like, okay, uh, Carson Wentz is better than Dak. And, you know, he's making, you know, uh, 32 average a year. Matt Ryan's making 30 average a year. You know, if Dak wants to come in around that 27 mark where Matt Stafford is, that's cool. What I'm afraid of is he's going to get 32. Russ is getting 35. Big Ben's getting 34. Rodgers is getting 33, 5. 32. If Dak gets 32, his agent should throw a party. And there's no way he's worth 40. But worth is, you know, what does somebody think you're worth? What is your value to someone else? That's that's what this is all about. So maybe the Cowboys, they think they got a quarterback. Then maybe they got their next Romo, their next Eggman. They got to keep this guy. Maybe he's worth it. I, I think the 40 is just them trying to talk. Oh, he wants 40, but he'll take 32. You know, like it's one of those deals. So I wouldn't get too carried away with the, the numbers. They're never really what they're as reported anyway. So uh, we'll wait and see. Daniel Reese tweeted this one at us. What's your favorite small school player of all time? Uh, and also presently, one of my favorite small school players of all time is actually a dude who played not far from us at Missouri State. His name's Dylan Cole. I just really loved watching him play. I mean, he was a wrecking ball playing middle linebacker at you know a D2 level. Just a fantastic player, a great guy. It's been fun watching him get to play with the Houston Texans. So that personal connection has probably made him more of a, a favorite player. I mean, we all loved Carson Wentz. Does that count as a small school player? Like, that's the best small school player I've ever seen. Uh, or Khalil Mack at Buffalo. Like, those those dudes are, are great, great prospects who played at a small school. Now, presently, I, I, I left this in here. I didn't shuck this part because I wanted to actually talk about this. This time of year, I am not watching small school players just because so much time gets spent on the Power 5 guys or, you know, the well-known players. And those are the guys that I'm going to be asked about on TV and radio and the podcast most often. So you want to nail down the big guys first. And then you kind of work your way down. Um, The smallest school player I've probably watched is David Woodward, a linebacker from Utah State. And I liked him. I I think I gave him a a round three grade initially. But I'm not getting down into, you know, the Georgia Southerns. I know they have a corner that's good. Uh, Vildor. We're not getting down to those guys just yet. We will, though. And that that process really starts in a couple weeks. So right now, it's so much about nailing the top guys, making sure that we don't miss you know any of the Alabamas and Clemsons and Georgias, because those are the players that you guys know and are going to ask about most throughout the summer uh, and the, the preseason. So we'll get to the small school guys uh, into August, early September. Last draft on draft question. This one might sound a little self-serving, but I thought it was a cool question. I've never been asked this before. Scott Olson asked, when did you first realize you made it in sports media? And I, I, I thought a lot about this last night. There have been some really cool moments for me. Um, one of the coolest was walking into the 2012 NFL draft and seeing my name on the table, like credentialed. You know, they, you walk in and there's the press seating and to look down and see Matt Miller Bleacher Report. That's a moment like that still give me, gives me chills thinking about it because as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with the draft. And so walking into, and it was still, you know, back in the Radio City Music Hall days, which is just... You know, like that's what you grow up thinking of the draft as, and I, the, like I know a lot of our younger listeners, like you guys, don't get to experience that because it's this road show now. But walking down the ramp at Radio City, 
and looking up and seeing the stage where they're going to announce the picks and knowing like, okay, I have a seat at this. You know, we always joke about the program. You got a seat at the table. That was a pretty cool feeling. It really was. Um, I, I didn't feel at that point like I had made it. And, and that's just like a peek behind my motivation. I'm never going to feel like I've made it ever. I, I'm almost nine years into this job with Bleacher Report. And I'm really fortunate to have all you guys that listen to the podcast and read my work and follow me on Twitter. I'm never going to feel like I made it. And I think Connor and Mello would tell you the same thing. And like we're just so driven to do this job and to always do a better job. Not to get corny or cliche here, but... I think also like I I got this job and like my life changed so quickly. I know that that can happen the other way. So every day is like okay, I got to work harder because there's a there's a 25 year old version of me out there trying to get this job just like I was a 25 year old version trying to get break in. So you always got to work a little bit harder than everybody who's trying to take your spot. So because of that, like I'll never feel like I made it. Uh, ever and maybe that's maybe that's neurotic but that's the kind of hunger and, and motivation that I know I have and I know Mello and Connor have as well to like to keep just kicking ass and making everything that we do better and more fun and more informative so we appreciate you guys hanging out with us while we do that that is the show for today Mello and I will be back Friday morning uh, Connor will still be out and then don't forget next week we're in Vegas you can come watch the shows uh, Monday Wednesday Friday noon Pacific time in Caesars Palace at the Sportsbook. BR's got a dedicated studio set up. Come hang out with us. We would love to meet you guys. Uh, And then, of course, Saturday at noon, the kickoff event. Miami, Florida, later that day. You can hang out with us and watch it. Come ask your questions. It's going to be a blast. We'll talk to you all real soon. 